Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Last week, Dominique and I were having an end-of-year conversation. I shared with her some of the observations I've been making with my goat herd, and then we moved on to talk about some training principles. We were just getting started with a discussion about stopping, which just happened to come at a perfect point in the podcast to stop. So that's what we did. We're going to pick up again now where we left off in this discussion of stopping to get your treat and why that is such a very good thing for your training. One of the pieces that I thought would be interesting to talk about that we haven't addressed is the stopping to get the treat and how valuable that is. So when you click, that's the signal that says, yes, what what you were just doing, something I really like. And now I'm going to reach into my pocket and I'm going to give you a treat. And so the animal, the horse, the goat, the dog, whatever you're, you're working with, needs to go, when they hear that click, they need to go into treat retrieving mode. Mm-hmm. And of course, when I click, when I hear the click, I need to go into treat delivery mode. And with the horses, because... I want to ride because riding is is where I'm headed. I really want that horse to stop when I click. Now, there are some exceptions to that. There are some places where I would encourage the horse to keep moving. Mm-hmm. And feed while it's moving? Uh, yeah, there are a couple places where I would feed where while they're moving. There are a couple of places where I would have mm-hmm. the animal go to a feeding location. So for example, if I'm working over a jump Mm -hmm. and I click as the horse is jumping, I certainly don't want them... Obviously, you're not going to feed in the air. And I don't want them to suddenly (laughs) just stop and come down, plop, with the sort of right Right. the jump right on their, their belly, which... You know, does happen mm-hmm. until you until you realize, oh, that's not a good idea. I know that's happened to many people, but so I I'm I for that setup. What I want the horse to understand is that I'm going to I may be clicking in that moment, but you're going to get your food over here on this mat where I'm standing waiting mm-hmm. for you. Right. But for the most part, with the horses, when I click, I want them to stop because. Under saddle, that's what I want. When I when I click, I want the horse to bring himself to a standstill, so that I can deliver the treat. Because I'm not I'm not a Cossack rider where when I click and I sort of lean down with this horse in full gallop and deliver a, hmm. uh, a treat to his mouth as he <laughs> as we're in full gallop. Um, that's a nice image of you. <laughs> well, it could be, but it's not it's not a reality. <laughs> Well, you'll have to practice, have to practice a little. A little yes. Yeah, you have to put in a little bit of time. I know, on that. I know, uh-huh. and I just haven't. <laughs> but you, you know what you hear too a lot is um, that the click 
ends the behavior. Yes, and and we always used to say that the click ends behavior until Bob Bailey came along and mm. said, "Well, only if the animal is dead." And then, right. said, and then there's the eye roll of Bob. You know what we mean. And then it was, well, actually, he's right, because the behavior, the animal keeps behaving, and and there's a lot of behavior that can occur between the click and the food delivery, which is another whole subject. But it ends the target behavior. Right. What I mean by target behavior is the behavior that you were looking for and that you clicked. Right. It interrupts that flow. Right. So, yeah, the dog or the animal will be doing other things while he's getting the food. But in theory, the, be the target behavior is interrupted. Right. And so one of the... I mean, there, there's so many forks in the road there. We could go off in lots of different directions in terms of just that little piece and in how you think about that little piece. But the direction that I have in mind is the stopping. So when somebody is from the outside looking in at clicker training and they see you riding, so you're riding along, you're maybe you're working on doesn't matter lateral work or you're doing some trot work and your horse picks up this really beautiful trot and you go a couple of strides and it gives you a little bit more lift in the trot and you click and he stops and you say oh you're so wonderful and then you get things organized again and you uh, walk off and you pick up the trot and you go another couple steps and he gives you another glorious moment and you click and you reinforce and the person who's not a clicker trainer is watching all that going with eyes rolling going this is the most ridiculous thing i've ever seen how is how is this supposed to work how is this ever going to work and they're really eye rolling if they're riding in the same arena with you because they want to keep going and you're in front of them and your horse keeps stopping and boy like is that ever bus. <laughs> Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, what a great analogy. Yes. And we all know how annoying that is. So and that, so they're looking at this thinking, this can't possibly work. And these people are, how are you ever going to get any kind of decent quality? And how is this horse supposed to know he's, you know, to keep going? And because what we're taught under saddle is the horse has to keep going. So if, if when you pick up the trot or a canter, if the horse breaks out of say the canter, well, that's a bad thing and you have to get him going again and with whatever means that you have. If that means that you take your, your, your riding crop and you give him a tap, that's what you do But because he's not supposed to stop. And then you get to clicker training and there's all this stopping. And what you begin from the inside, what you discover is that all that stopping is the keys to the kingdom. That's the that's what creates this real deep understanding on the horse's part of what it is that you're asking him to do and this real deep understanding of how to organize his own body. So when you when you click and your horse stops out of that beautiful trot and you reach down and you give him a treat 
he wants to get back to that clickable moment. And so he's got to figure out how to go from zero, standing still, probably even a little bit slightly out of balance because he reached around to get his treat, how to get himself reorganized, re-energized, get back to whatever gate he was just working in, get the, the engagement, the lift, the, the changes in his body that brings him to that moment when you're going to click and treat. And yes, you're offering cues. Yes, you're offering some guidance. But ultimately, he's really figuring out how to get back to that clickable moment. And because it's broken down in these really small stair steps, he ends up owning, owning the behavior that you are trying to teach. And what you what you discover through the, the use of the click interrupts that flow of behavior and then you get to rebuild it. It's like you're building in these these nice, clean, tight loops. This is, this is really and truly how the loopy training works for you. And and then you, you can gradually build out the duration. You can add more elements to it. But it's that that recognition that the stop is your power tool. It's not something to resist. It's not something to fight against. It's not something to say, oh, you know, I, I, I wish I didn't have to stop so often. It's like, no, this is, this, is some, this is a part of the clicker training that you really embrace. And one of the ways that I always explain this is suppose you are working with a horse who was, um, go back. Rather than do a, a hypothetical, I'll, I'll share a, a Robin story. Um, so when Robin was, before I started him under saddle, I wanted to get him used to wearing a surcingle. And just as a, a precursor to putting a saddle on and a girth, I thought a, a, just a surcingle, which just, it's a belly band, basically, for those who don't, who don't know. And you can use it to, to ground drive. So I put it on and put the drive lines on. And I did it very systematically, make sure that they didn't scare him. And I asked him to go forward. But he was a little worried about the process. And so he was a little bit stuck. And I uh, decided that what I was going to do was put the equipment on. And then I would just... I would slide behind him with the reins in my hand and I would put my hand on his hip and I would ask him to just shift forward, uh, just not even take a step, but if I felt any small shift in his balance, I would click and I would reinforce that. And so I did that for five minutes and then I took all the equipment off. And we played one of his favorite games, which was kickball. So I brought a ball out and he kicked it around the arena. And we did that for five minutes. And then I put the ball away and I brought the surcingle out and I put everything, um, uh, I tacked him up again. 
put the drive lines on. And this time I asked him for a little shift to balance forward and a little bit more than what he'd been giving me. And we did, so he started to take a step. And we we did that for five minutes. And then I took everything off and I and we played kickball. And then I put everything back on again. And so over the course of that evening, and I was one of those times when I was, uh, I actually had the the training time that I could do a long, hour-long session with him over a period of a couple of days because I was, it was over the winter and I was in town. So in that first evening, I probably tacked him up six or seven times. Mm-hmm. And in the second evening, I probably tacked him up another six, seven, eight times. So we're up to, we'll say 15 times that I've tacked up this young horse. Now in the normal training, I would have tacked him up once, put the sur single on, put the drive lines on, done a little bit of training, taken them off, put him away. So in the normal training over three days, four days, I would have tacked him up four times. Mm -hmm. But in the training that I was doing with him, I was tacking him up six, seven, eight times. So over four days, I will have tacked him up 30 times compared with four times. So which horse is going to understand the tacking up process and be better at it? The one who was tacked up four times or the one who was tacked up 30 times? pretty obvious answer right and and what was interesting in that is the end of the I think it was the third day I started to tack him up and I didn't even have the drive lines on and he rocked back this beautiful uh, shift of balance that he that had been evolving over the the course of the last couple days he he rocked back and did this gorgeous collected start, which I recognized instantly what he was doing. And so we just continued on. And I ground drove him around the arena with uh, turns to the right, turns to the left, changes of direction, circles, all these intricate patterns. And we probably ground drove for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes that night without interruption and all at liberty. It was so much fun Mm. because we had done all of those small little pieces, right? all of those tiny loops, and we built it so systematically. And the same thing when you're working, say a horse who's just learning to uh, pick up the canter leads, for example, and they pick up, they go transition up into the canter, and you click on the first stride and you give them a treat and then you get them organized and they pick up the canter again and you click and they come down out of the canter and you give them a treat and you think in the normal training the horse is to pick up the canter and keep going and so in the normal training if you work that horse say you you spent five ten minutes during the ride working on the canter in the normal training he would have asked for five canter departs. But with the clicker trained horse, you might have asked for 25. 
And so those differences are just going to start really magnifying themselves so that that horse that was asked for a canter to part five times in the course of an evening, after 10 days, he's done 50 canter to parts. The horse that did 25, he's done 250. So you start to see the same that what I'm seeing in patience, how she's getting ahead of the other two goats because she's just getting a little, not a lot, but just a little bit of extra time from me and what a difference that makes. Well, probably too. I mean, if we try to look at the principles behind that, there are probably a few things. The, the clean loops, the high rate yes. of reinforcement while you're teaching a new behavior. Um, and I'm sure there are other ways we could look at why this is working out so beautifully. One of the things I think that people wonder about when they start doing this is, I know certainly I do, is how do I make sure that I don't hit a glass ceiling and that I am gradually increasing what I'm asking for so that I can build that duration eventually? Um, and, you know, I, I always come back to this because I find this very yes. challenging, you know, how to increase criteria um, without creating confusion. And, and one of the things I noticed in your description when you were talking in the Robin story is that you would ask for something, have a certain criteria, take the tack off play kickball and come back and ask for a little more. So you were, it was a new, kind of a new session when you ask for more because the kickball sessions kind of interrupted it. And that might have been, you know, for the animal, a signal that, okay, it's going to be a little bit different this time. Yes. That's the... call it an early version, if you will, of the micro-shaping strategy. Like in the micro-shaping strategy, you have two behaviors that you're manipulating. One is behavior A, the behavior that you are actively wanting to improve. And the other, behavior B, is a behavior that is... The best ones are behaviors that are very easy, that have a, have already been taught so the animal is very familiar with it and where there's a deep history of reinforcement in that behavior and that you don't need to improve so simple targeting is a is a great one to switch to so i may i might be working on i might be working on having a horse back up I and mean, that's the example that we used in the micro shaping dvd so i want the the horse to shift his balance back and I've got a horse that, for whatever reason, is fairly stuck in his body. And so you're looking for any little shift, any tiny little quiver of a muscle you'll take. And you click and treat, and you click and treat that a couple of times. And, and then you switch to this other behavior, to the targeting. And initially, the reason that you switch to the targeting behavior is because it helps to get your rates of reinforcement up. Because when you're working with an animal that's not really offering, it's not doing very much, it's not offering 
a lot of behavior that really is sort of standing there frozen for whatever reason is that's your starting point your rates of reinforcement can be really low and not enough to really keep the animal keep that horse in the game so when you switch over to the targeting something that they will actively do you get them re-engaged and you get your rates of reinforcement up and then you can switch back to this other behavior and what you often find when you switch back is that there's been a change that there's been some processing and that the criteria can you can begin to shift it to now uh, a more definite shift of balance now they're they're taking an actual step back for example and what you find is that the horses begin to expect that change of criteria that so instead of them saying well wait a minute you were just clicking me for picking up my foot and and I picked up my foot but you're not clicking me you know what what what's what's going on here you're you're breaking the rules you're breaking the expectations you should be clicking me because that's what you were clicking for before well what they learn is that when you come back that you may be looking for something slightly different and they can try the previous thing that's certainly fine and they're likely they're of course they're going to try the previous thing but what you'll see often is that they pick up the foot with a little bit more energy and you go oh okay that's the new criterion it's already occurring i'm looking for that extra little bit of lift click and treat that i've i've changed the expectation slightly and the horses are expecting that now they learn that process they're expecting that change and they flow with it and let's say so you end your session and you go you go sleep and the next day you come back to the barn would you start at the last criteria or would you make it slightly easier at the beginning of your session the next day? I usually start with what the horses offer me. What he offers um, today? Yeah, because they'll remind okay. me. Of- you, you, don't, you don't necessarily have a set plan. You'll see what he offers and you'll start again from there. Right, because they'll, and, and often what they will do is they'll remind me of, oh, right, that's what we were working on yesterday. Yeah, yeah um, I know. And, uh, it's like you know you teach things and then a year later you forgot about them and they show you right right and you say, oh that's right I showed this to him <laughs> yeah, because I may have been working with I don't know six seven animals on yeah. six seven different things or or have been on the computer thinking about and of course there might be one day when you don't write everything down <laughs> right that's right and uh, do you write a lot do you write? Do you do you record I your? I don't uh, do that kind of record keeping. Neither do do I, yeah. and I, I I wish I did. Ken Ramirez does. It's very impressive, but yeah, um, I don't do that kind of record keeping. We should really. We but should. Neither do I. Especially yeah. with all of the goats that I'm working with, I should. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So what I find... Yeah, so you were saying that they, they will show you. Yeah, what I find is that they will remind me. Mm-hmm. They'll go out and they'll, you know, this is what we were working. Oh, right, of course. How silly of me to have forgotten that that's what we were playing with. And they will give me the starting point based on what mm-hmm. they offer. And often, sometimes it's a review of where we were that we have to repeat some of the things that we were doing the day before but sometimes they've jumped ahead and by jump ahead I mean the the next part of a pattern is there you have to you have to be willing to wait for it sometimes a little bit yes which which I'm finding hard sometimes because I so want them not to feel confusion and frustration that sometimes I'm afraid to wait and I'm sure I've missed progress uh, because of this sometimes because I clicked too soon where they could have given me more. I think sometimes of Do you know? the bending of a coat hanger. I think everybody should go bend a metal coat hanger every now and then just to remind yourself what that feels like. Now when you start out with a coat hanger it's stiff and as you keep bending it, it gets really soft and it gets really easy to bend. So when you first start out with an exercise, it's like that stiff coat hanger. And and it, it doesn't bend terribly well. If you tried to ask for a bit more, it wouldn't be there. But as you keep working, what you find is the the flexibility, the, uh, I want to say momentum, the physical momentum is is there to expand the behavior just a little bit. Let's see if I can think of an example. Um, well, with the goats, we'll use a goat example. The goats are learning to lie down with me, which is really lovely because they're cashmere <laughs> and, and they have this the girls have the most wonderful, soft cashmere coat right now. And so when, you, when they're lying down and I sort of sit with them and I can put my, my, my head against their side, you've got your face just buried in this lovely, warm mm. cashmere. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's quite a lovely way to pass some time with a, with a goat. And... So I, I started by teaching them to kneel, which was easy to get because they like going up on, um, uh, I've got a big box that they go up on and, and that's their grooming station. And just by feeding them below the level of the box, they started to kneel. So that was that was easy. Okay. Uh, but they didn't really want to lie down on the box because it's a hard plastic somewhat slippery lid and so they weren't going to lie down on it so I moved them over to I I piled some hay on top of one area that they're in nice clean hay and and that made it much easier for them because if they're like a horse you know they won't lie down on any surface it has to be the soft nice you know it's it's set up your environment for success right so if you're going to ask if you're going to ask somebody to lie down you know it makes sense that you would give them a nice soft cushy 
uh, inviting surface to lie down on, not a hard plastic slippery. You know, when we did the show, we had the first one, the first show, Cavalier yeah. One. Um, there were the the horse whisperer was playing with the horses, and then during one of the segment, he would have them lie down, and there was a special sand there uh. because it was very soft. Because they wouldn't like, and it was complicated, you know, the footing for a show, because if you have jumping horses, don't need the same kind of footing, and the dancers and the acrobat, everybody wants their kind of sand. But for the lying down, you wanted the softest sand possible, and this is where they would lie down, you know, willingly. Yes. Because it was such a nice surface to lie down on. Exactly. Like you said, you set yourself up for success. Right, right. So the goats are on yeah. the hay. And they're kneeling. And I can feel the their hips. So I can put my hand on their hips, not to push them down, not like the old you know dog training where you just kind of smush the animal down. But but I can I've got my hand on their their pelvis and I can feel when their hips when their hip joints are relaxing. And that's when I click and I give them a treat. And it's a great coat hanger example because when they were first starting, their mm. their legs were, their joints were mm-hmm. more rigid because they were kneeling and their, they were, their uh, hindquarters were sort of up in the air. And then they got more and more comfortable with the kneeling and they got... Uh, they're on this soft hay, and uh, and their their joints mm-hmm. started to relax a little bit, and I would click and reinforce that, and then their joints relaxed a little bit more, and I clicked and reinforced that, and then all of a sudden they just collapsed down on their side, and they're lying down. But if you tried to force the lie down at the start when their joints were tight, it would have been... A mess and wouldn't have happened or would have had an unhappy goat mm-hmm. but when you just keep feeling those joints relax you know letting go right. relaxing 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 until all of a sudden they just go flop on their side that's the bending of the coat hanger that's that makes it an easy behavior to get but you're you're bending it ever so slightly more every time well not every time you know when we because it's not a it's not a linear straight line progression Mm -hmm. but you're feeling for that because you know that that the more you reinforce that little bit of a give the more you'll get and it'll grow it it just it will grow into what you're looking for yeah patience yes yeah and there's a certain amount of just being greedy and asking for that little bit more, that little bit more, that little bit more, but asking for it when it's there, right? not when it's absent. So I have a big question. Maybe it's too late in the podcast to ask a big question like that. What do you think about errorless learning? I, I think that's a great What's subject your thoughts on that? for... It's a big question. <laughs> it's a big question. It's a one-hour question. Right, and I think that's that's a question that we should 
hold off on and engage Mary Hunter, who's oh, going to yes. be doing some podcasts with us and some other projects with us. That's one because that's idea. that's a special area for her. Mm. So I think we should wait on that. Yeah, and, good idea. Yeah. We'll have yeah. a talk with Mary about this. That's right. So we're going to have a fun year coming up because we've got yeah we lots of projects yeah, in the works. Yes, just tease yeah. people with that. Lots mm. of projects coming up, um, and lots of lots of guests we'll have on the podcasts and some other projects that we'll be talking about as as we get them ready. And to. training goals. And training goals. Yeah, my yes. training goal is to uh, deepen my knowledge of what we just talked about just now. You know, how to increase criteria without creating confusion and frustration. That's my goal. I want to, you know, I think this year for me, um, in terms of training, when I look at the year I've had, I think I have really deepened my awareness of the power of clean loops. Ah, yeah, that for me was this year's big. Um, now, now, what does that mean for you? How? Did, what, well, how I've, that... I've I've actually become a better splitter. Ah. You know, yeah, I've learned that you know it's so reward so productive to split more, more, more. You know, you always say I've heard you say this a lot that when people begin, they are always lumpers. Yep. And as you gain experience, you become a better splitter. And I really feel that for me this year, um, there was a breakthrough in terms, and I'm sure, you know, I'll continue to become a better splitter, but I think I've made a step forward in that, um, on that plan, you know, because of all the discussions we've had and the webinars and my, you know, the, what I've practiced and played with. But definitely, I've learned that to to clean up the loops and so be satisfied with smaller things, but that are impeccable and so grow in, in from a, there. In, in a sense, you are discovering the importance of the stop. Because every time you click, you stop, you're yeah. creating a new, uh, the start of a new loop. That's right. A clean loop. A clean loop. Yeah, because that's that's the key thing. And you know, as a part of a clean loop, I've also been more aware of the fact that if there's a lot of emotional behavior in a loop, it's not a clean loop. Yes. Yeah. Well, emotional behavior. We need we need to we need to clarify that because, you know, the emotional behavior could be exactly what we want. You know, emotional behavior can be happy enthusiasm yeah that's true that's true not all emotional behavior is unwanted there's a if we had that's true if if we were not seeing any what we would call emotional behavior we might start to worry <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right yeah yeah and actually we like when we see you know that the horse is enjoying yes yeah that's true that's that's a it's a, a interesting nuance to make yeah but so unwanted emotional behavior um, is not part of a clean loop. So, right. but, but now I want to be able to get more complex behaviors without, uh, the confusion or the frustration. I want to 
become better at raising criteria, and this is why I'm asking about errorless <laughs> um, learning, um, I'm very interested in that. So that'll be for 2019. Do you have any goals yourself, training goals for 2019? Um, basically, it's just keeping the horses happy. That's the, that's the training goal. Right. Yeah. So we, we have, uh, we'll, we'll sort of end with another cute Robin story. So I like the winter for many reasons, but um, one of them in the summer, I do the barn chores while the horses are out on turnout. So I'll open the gate and tell them that, yes, you do have to go out and eat grass. You really do have to go out and eat grass. No, no, we'd rather stay in with you. No, I think you should go out and eat grass. And it's like, oh, okay. Um, but in the winter, the pastures are closed for the most part because they're muddy and I don't want them tearing up the fields so that they don't have grass in the summer mm -hmm. um, but they still have plenty of room to move around the way the barn is set up it's just they're just not out in the turnout so in the morning when I'm doing the barn chores I always have mother's little helpers um, <laughs> who accompany me which is really quite pleasant and and i when we get done with the cleaning the arena, I put out mats and we do just a simple little multiple mat game with the um, with Fengor and Robin so that they get to play. And it's a it's a nice game where uh, they move from mat to mat to mat. And the basic rule is you can go to any map one that's occupied. <laughs> and 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 Robin thinks this is the best game ever. I mean, he really loves this game. So the other morning he came in and I'm still um, cleaning up piles from the night before. And I had set some mats against the wall and he went over and he stood by this mat and he looked at it for a little bit and then he picked it up <laughs> and very pointedly he's looking at me with this mat um, in his mouth, plunked it down and stood on it and then looked at me with this i think we should be playing now so so that that's my goal really is is to just continue to provide them with with entertainment so that they provide me with entertainment no i i'm so now that. we have a new game mobile mat yes yes <laughs> Yeah, well, I did click him, and I, I and went and I went over and 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 reinforced that. So, because um, no, I don't want him carrying the mat over to me. And, <laughs> you know, no, but he's that, it was. It's just such a charming behavior, and it's such great proof that you know they really do enjoy right. the interactions and the things that we're doing together, and um, that's what's primarily important to me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I guess it's time to wish everyone Happy New Year. Um, if yes. They're, depending on when they're listening to this, but today's the 31st, the last day of 2018 when we're yes. recording this. So Right. So they'll they'll hear it after the New Year. Yeah, but, but you can still wish Happy New Year for a few weeks. You can still wish people a, a Happy New Year. Yes, yes. I think it's always good to wish people a Happy New Year well into January. So... That's what we will do now, and, and hopefully everyone will have a glorious year with their animals and enjoy the training immensely, as we will 
hope to do for our own animals. And, um, and we'll talk again soon. Bye. Bye.